If you're new to church, if this is kind of the first time that you've been around church for a while, or if you are kind of familiar with Easter traditions, Easter can seem a little bit weird to people that are not really familiar with the whole Easter story. In fact, all over America, actually in parts around the world, the church gets up early on Easter morning and it does something a little bit weird. I think it's weird anyway. There will be people that will get up before the sunrise and they will go to a graveyard and they will do a little church service while the sun is coming up in a graveyard. It's called an Easter sunrise service. And I personally think it's a little bit weird to go to a graveyard for anything other than putting somebody in the ground. But these Christians will get together and they will have a social, they will have a solemn ceremony, a sacred event where they will recognize the very first Easter sunrise. They will recognize the moment when that tomb that was full on Saturday night became empty on Sunday morning. And that Easter sunrise service is actually a moment of hope. It's the moment where people will realize that if Jesus really did come out of the grave alive, then this is the ultimate game changer. In fact, go back and read history. Read the Roman historians. Read the Jewish historians. Read the Christian historians. Even people that don't agree with our faith, the most credible History, uh, event in history, no reputable theologian or no reputable historian argues that that tomb didn't empty on Sunday morning. There's lots of discussion about how that tomb became empty. Some people believe that grave robbers broke in and they stole the body because we can make some money off of it. Others claim that the disciples pulled a big hoax. They took the body, buried it somewhere else in a shallow grave where nobody would ever notice it. Many people try to figure out what happened to the body, but no credible historian argues that that tomb wasn't empty. And the reason why Christians get up early on Sunday morning and they go to a graveyard is to remind ourselves that no matter how bad the circumstances may be in your life, no matter how dark it may seem right now, if that tomb is empty, then there's hope for you. There's hope for your future. And so here's what I want you to hear from the Bible today because, or I want to go back and basically explain a, a statement that I'm going to put on the screens, and it's right here for you. The Easter sunrise, it is the ultimate symbol of hope. It is the thing that can pierce into, notice the word on the screen, your darkest circumstances, your darkest night, whatever you're facing. And I'm just going to be honest with you for a second. Let other pastors have people in their church that have lots of money. Other pastors can go for people that have lots of power. I have prayed for weeks that God would bring people to this room today that are broken and hurting and they need hope because this is a message of the ultimate source of hope. 
So what I'm going to do for you today is I'm going to try to explain to you how big of a deal it's going to be almost impossible to use human language to explain how big of a deal that Easter morning is. But I'm going to put a sentence together for you as we go along. And Joseph, this thing is flickering, so I'm just going to read from my notes. As we go along, I'm going to put this sentence for you, and I want you to understand the significance of this Easter hope that we have. First part of the sentence, because the tomb is empty. And now let me explain this phrase because you're not going to see the word tomb in the Bible today. This passage comes out of the end of the Bible. But those first followers, they experienced disappointment and the death of a dream. They put it all on the line to follow Jesus. They believed that he was going to become the king of Israel, the future leader of the human race, and they left their businesses, they left their families to go follow him, and then they watched him die on a cross, and everything that they hoped for, all that they dreamed about, died right in front of them. In fact, I just told you from John chapter 20 that by the time Jesus is dead on Easter Sunday morning, none of his disciples believed that he would rise again. They all thought, this is it. It's over. We made a huge mistake. Lock the door because they're coming after us next. And then they heard those women come running back from the graveyard saying, hey, guys, we went to anoint his body and his body's not there anymore. That tomb is empty. And I just started the sentence with not if, but because the tomb is empty, I'm going to read for you how the ultimate source of hope when your dreams die, when you're facing disappointment, how all of that gets answered if there really is a second chance after you make some huge mistakes. This comes out of the end of the Bible. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 for you. Here's what the Bible says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. That bride language that you're hearing in the Bible today, that language refers to the universal church, all believers of, for all time. And the groom, of course, is Jesus. And this is the moment where Jesus' people get a chance to spend eternity with Jesus, and it starts in Revelation chapter 1. So somebody in this room just missed a chance to say hallelujah or to say amen. Back in the day, the church, we've been studying as a church in two cities, the beginning of the Bible. We've been studying through the book of Genesis. And what we've seen is at the beginning, God created perfection. He created the Garden of Eden. He made the perfect place. He created Adam and Eve made the perfect people. He gave them to each other, created the perfect relationship. They had perfect harmony with each other, perfect harmony with God, perfect harmony with nature. And then Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, decided, I don't care what God says. I know that we're not supposed to eat that forbidden fruit, but it looks good. And I'm going to take it, and I'm going to eat it anyway. And what we just learned as a church a few weeks ago is that was the moment that broke everything. That was the moment that plunged humanity into sin, into suffering, 
That's the moment when sickness showed up and natural disasters started and even death itself. God made a promise because of what you two just did. Now the earth itself is cursed. And by the way, now you and your children after you are going to die. And this is the natural consequences for sin. If you come back next week, we're going to pick up right where we left off in Genesis chapter 4. And if you keep reading in the book of Genesis, that whole true crime series on TV, the sister wives thing on TV, they got nothing on what you're going to read in the Bible uh, next in Genesis. You want to know, did people really live for 800 years? We're going to answer that question for you in the next week or two. Just come back next week. Here's what I want you to hear. Adam and Eve, when our first parents took that fruit and decided, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what feels good. I'm going to do what seems right to me. They plunged all of us, the whole earth itself, and all of their children after them into suffering and into hardships. Those first disciples, they thought, this is going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to be on top of the world because I'm going to be the number two, number three guy to the king of Israel, the future leader of humanity. And then their dreams just died around them. And I know this has happened to some of you. I know some of you put it all into a marriage and you were given it everything that you got. And then all of a sudden your spouse bailed on you. They had an affair on you and it all came collapsing in around you. And it got really dark and really empty. Some of you, it was a career. Some of you, it was finances. For others of you, you made some mistakes. And if there was a moment in time that you could go back and change, you would go back and fix this day. And I'm telling you that that darkness can become overwhelming. That emptiness can become oppressive. Anybody in this room that is connected to the U.S. military, you know a guy or a gal who has become so empty, life has become so dark that she found no hope, no future, so she just turned to a bottle of pills to make it all go away. Chances are you know a guy who it became so bad that he couldn't deal with it anymore. And so he put a pistol in his mouth. That's how bad emptiness, that's how bad darkness can be. It can become hopelessness and it can become overwhelming. Some of you know exactly what it feels like in this video right here.
You've been there before. You know what that feels like? Easter is the ultimate source of hope. And what Revelation chapter 21 is doing for us is showing us what the empty tomb set in motion, what's waiting for us on the other side of human history. Genesis tells us how this whole thing got messed up at the beginning. Revelation is describing for us what this looks like at the end. And the only reason Revelation 21 is possible is because of that Easter sunrise and because that tomb is empty. And I'm trying to convince you today that the God of revival can pierce into your greatest darkness, that the loving kindness of Jesus will never fade, it will never go away, that it goes on and on and on. What I'm trying to convince you is that because the tomb is empty, the temple is open, and there's more to this statement than just what you see on the screens. There's people that are struggling with relationships right now. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling with your boss at work. But there are plenty of people all over the globe, maybe in this room right now, that are struggling with your relationship with God. And you're trying to be a good boy. You're trying to be a good girl and do the right thing. You're praying. You're reading the Bible. But it feels like God is on the other side of the universe right now. And he doesn't care. He doesn't hear you when you pray. And you're really wrestling right now. I want you to hear from the Bible the access that God's people have now that that tomb is empty. Listen to verse 3, what it says about our relationship to God now that we're on this side of that empty tomb. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, the dwelling is with humanity. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. Say the word dwelling out loud. In the Bible, that word in the Old Testament is translated tabernacle. It's also translated temple. God's temple is now with people, and he will live with them, and they will be his disciples, and God himself will be with them. And will be their God, and he will, here it is, church, wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a loud voice that comes out of the throne room. And if you're wondering whose voice this is, well, because this loud voice is coming from the very throne room of God, and it's speaking about God, it can only be Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you now have access that nobody's ever had before. You see... All of human history, all human religions basically go the same way. There's a temple, there's a deity that lives inside the temple, and if you want that deity to do something good for you, do something nice for your family or for your business, you go there, you present an offering, and maybe that deity will do something nice for you and give you what you pray for, give you what you ask for. Way back in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 
the great King Solomon built the first temple. Before that, it was a tabernacle. Before that, it was just a tent, a temporary structure. King Solomon built a temple. Second Chronicles chapter 6, he's praying in front of the nation of Israel about this temple. And God says, yo, Solomon, I need you to remember something about this building right here. I'm not the kind of God that dwells in a building built by human hands. I'm the God of the universe, the one who created this earth. And yeah, you can come to this temple, and yes, you can pray, but this temple can't possibly hold me. In fact, you and I, if it was today, we would have a problem because only good Jewish boys could go into that temple. The Jewish women, us foreigners, we had to watch from outside. We had to try to peek in from a distance because we weren't invited inside that temple. And in the very center of the temple, there was a special room called the most holy place. Only one man on one day of the year could enter that room. It was the high priest. And by the way, we had to tie a rope around his leg because if he fell over dead inside that room in the presence of God, nobody could go in and get him out. We have to drag his dead carcass out by that rope. That's how holy, that's how special this place was supposed to be. And then what the Bible is telling us today is that you don't have to be separated from God anymore. You don't have to Uh, worship God from a distance anymore. In fact, what it's saying is, and this is mind-blowing, you don't come to God in Revelation chapter 21. Look up here, church. He comes to you. It actually says that the living God leaves the temple and he comes down to earth and he fixes everything that was broken by Adam and Eve. He restores everything that was wrong. He decides, I'm going to be with my people now and they don't have to come to me. I'm coming to them. I'm going to dwell with them on earth and they will live forever because I'm going to be with them. Jesus is making this promise that James needed to hear this week. You see, this guy James from Michigan was so distraught, he was struggling so much that he called me from Michigan and said, can I talk to you about what's going on in my life? And he described how he tries again and again to be good, to do right. He's praying. He's trying to be a good father. He's trying to be a good husband. And sure enough, I do okay for a little while, and then I mess up. And I fall flat on my face. And James said, Jeff, this has been going on for me ever since my first combat deployment to Iraq. And I am struggling with this. And I need your help. Jeff, how do I get over this failure, these mistakes that I make? And I had the chance on the phone this week to talk to James about Jesus to describe Good Friday for him when Jesus took the penalty for all those mistakes, all of that sin, and he carried it to, his, to the cross and literally paid for it with his life. And then I had a chance to describe Easter Sunday for James. And right there on the phone, James became a new person and found new hope when Jesus radically changed his life. And I'm trying to tell you, church, what Jesus did for James He is doing for millions of people over thousands of years. It doesn't matter how bad you messed up.
It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. You may feel like I am that guy, I am that gal. What I did can't be forgiven. God himself can't forgive me for what I did. And the cross is shouting out how much God loves you. And you don't have to worry anymore. In fact, God says, I'll take the initiative. You don't come to me. I'm coming to you. I'm building a new city, a new Jerusalem. I'm going to fix everything, and I'm going to dwell with you. And can you just remind me, church, did the Bible just say to us, I'm going to fix some of your problems. I'm going to wipe away some of your tears. Did it say the word some, or did it say all? You see, what the Bible is saying is, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've messed up. I don't care how dark your circumstances are. You and I can have fellowship with one another. And it's not because of you. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of what my son Jesus did for you. And I will walk away, or I will wash away every tear, all of the pain, all of the suffering. It's gone forever. And you want to know why, church? Because God is now in the midst. And God won't let any of that stuff happen to you. Not now and not for the rest of eternity. You see, because the tomb is empty, the temple is open, and here it is. The ultimate source of hope. Time is no longer your enemy. You see, no human being on the planet can make enough money to buy one more second of life. You can't work hard enough to make your life last any longer. All of us have an appointed day of death. Nobody can stop it. And this is the ultimate enemy. This is the ultimate darkness. Because once you step across that line, there's no coming back. Or is there? Because listen to what Revelation 21 says next. Verse 4 through 6. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things, the stuff that Adam and Eve created, those things have passed away. The one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. You can bet your soul on what I'm saying to you in these words. Then he said to me, it's done. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. All of those first things, all of those first sufferings, everything that we've been learning about in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God says, I'm going to fix all of that. I'm going to undo all of that. I'm going to make all of that new. And you won't have any more grief. There won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more pain. And by the way, when I say it's done, it's done because nobody can undo what I just did. And Jesus is standing in a crowd of people. And they're having this religious ceremony. And they're in the desert in the summertime. And Jesus shouts to the crowd of people, anyone that is thirsty, come to me and drink because I am the water of life. Jesus didn't say, I have the water of life. He said, you come to me and drink because I am the water of life. And even said to that notorious sinful woman at the well, the water that I give you 
You'll never be thirsty again. The water you drink out of this well, you're going to be thirsty again. But when I give you water, it's living water. It will well up inside of you, and you will never be thirsty again. And now what you see from Revelation 21, church, is the water of life filling God's people for all of eternity. And he says, you don't have to deal with any suffering. You don't have to go through any grief anymore. Did you realize that what he's describing in the Bible is so foreign to our minds, so hard for us to understand? We don't even have human words to describe the positive side of this. We can only describe the world that we live in, the grief, the suffering, the pain. You don't have to deal with the grief anymore. There will never be another tear. There will never be another hurt heart there will never be death anymore, and you will be with me for eternity. Because the tomb is empty, the temple is now open, and time itself is no longer your enemy. You can live forever. On Friday morning, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. I was speaking at a community event People from all over town, business leaders, showed up to this Friday morning breakfast, this good Friday breakfast, and a man came up to me after it was over with. His name was John, and John was heaving. His chest was going up and down, and he could barely speak to me through these half sentences because he was trying to get himself under control. He even started by saying, forgive me, I'm still struggling to speak right now. He said, as you were talking, Jeff, you were talking directly to me. I've never met John before in my life. I've never really even spoken in Nebraska before. And John said, at the end of your talk, Jeff, I was hearing what you said, and it hit me like a freight train. And I got out of my seat, and I walked to the corner of the room, and I started weeping uncontrollably because I realized I have made a mess of my life. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about what happens to me after I'm gone. I'm married. I've got children. What happens to my wife? Who's going to take care of my kids? What's going to happen to my business after I'm gone? And I am weeping uncontrollably because I'm scared. I'm literally scared of dying. And then you started to pray, and something happened inside of me. And I don't even know how to describe it, but Jeff, I just came up here to tell you that at that moment, all of that fear went away. At that moment, I started to realize what happened to you can happen to me, and it can happen to anybody else because that tomb is empty. And that was a good time for you to clap, church. I looked at John, and I started praying for John. And I said, John, I want to make a promise to you. If you prayed... If that was real, the God of the universe heard that prayer from heaven, and he makes you a promise. That promise is, John, death is no longer the end for you. It's actually the beginning. It's now the beginning of eternity. And John, I don't know if that's going to happen to you two months from now or 50 years from now, but I do know this. If your wife, if your children are following the Lord Jesus Christ, they got a father in heaven that can take far greater care of them than you can, John. So you got nothing to worry about from here on out, brother. And I'm just here to tell you, church, if you're struggling, 
If it's dark right now, if you're hurting like John was, if you don't know where to turn to for answers like James did, I need you to know that the same empty tomb that radically transformed those disciples can transform your life too. You see, those scared disciples behind locked doors, when Jesus showed up, when he met with them, when he gave them his peace and breathed on them, they unlocked the doors. They walked into the middle of huge public gatherings, and they declared boldly that they have seen the risen Savior and that he has radically changed their life, and he can do the same thing for them. And thousands believed that day. And I just want to challenge you, church. We ask you, don't let what you hear from the Bible just go into one ear and slip through and go out the other. Would you put this into practice? So for all the Christians in this room, everybody who says that empty tomb has radically changed me, I got a challenge for you today. Would you get up this week? And no matter how dark the circumstances, no matter how difficult it is, when you guys are going through ranger school, when you're facing those hardships of combat, when you're facing financial or marriage problems, would you say, I am going to face my dark nights with the light of Easter? Would you just commit, I will live with hope this week, the same hope that those first followers had? I'm going to live with that kind of hope this week, no matter how dark my circumstances. But man, I've been praying. I have been begging God that he would send somebody into this room today who needs Jesus to do that Easter miracle inside your soul.